Life Assessment Day at Horizon. And I want to talk to you about living your life in such a way that you'll have no regrets. Now, you'll see two areas on each one of these points this morning. One where it says rate yourself 1 to 10. So this is a rate yourself thing. So when we come to family, nobody can, you know, do this and go, hey, you're a 3 there, not a 7, right? None of that. It's, it's, just look at your own paper today as, <clears throat> as, as we do this stuff, all right? Because it's, it's just for you. And then we'll come to the end of each point with the thought that says action step. And uh, we would hope that maybe you'd start with something that perhaps the Lord would share with you today concerning these things. Let me pray and then we'll begin. Father, all of us are people in progress. No one has arrived. And so in each one of these categories, we could do better. But quite often we go through life uh, just focused on externals and and we kind of miss the priorities. Would you help us? as we evaluate ourselves today to see how we're doing with your priorities, God, for our lives. Touch us, lead us, and guide us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the the first question for you today. Four areas I wanna talk to you about. First is this, how am I doing with my relationship with God? You score yourself one to 10. You see that little thing right there? You can go back and change it if you uh, need to as we go on here. Second Peter 3, 8 says this. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Are you growing in your faith? Well, I would say you're focused on it a little bit, at least, or you wouldn't be here this morning, right? You're here because you want to grow. But uh, the Bible says this in 1 Timothy 4, 7, which is, it adds a little bit to that dimension and that thought of growth. Train yourself to be godly. That means that it's not just uh, on others to help us get there, but somehow we're supposed to be focused. Didn't say have others train you. It said train yourself. Another version says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Well, there are two areas that, uh, that I want to talk to you about in this first point here, and we focus on them a lot around here. As a matter of fact, we've been speaking about them recently, uh, but the first is this, prayer. How are you doing in the area of prayer? In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray continually. We see that Jesus, who's our, our example that we're to follow, he prayed in the morning. We can see that over and over again in the New Testament. But then we see that he prayed in the evening quite a bit. Then we see that almost on all occasions when something was up, Jesus was praying. So he was our example, praying continually. One of the thoughts I wanna give you is how are you doing with the prayer closet? What I mean by that is this, when we pray, it's good, but it's, it's public prayer. When you pray with your family, that's, that's great as well. Uh, but there's a dimension that will take you to another level as a believer, and I, I'm just gonna call it the prayer closet. That's you and God getting along. Because when you get away from everybody else and you focus on the Lord, first of all, what you'll find is it takes a little bit for your mind to settle down. Because you'll be, you know, in Disneyland or wherever you were recently or wherever you wanna go or yesterday at work, but then after a few moments or minutes, you'll begin to focus in and you can just talk to the Lord. But you know, prayer is a two-way conversation. I really believe that. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. There's a distinct impression that he would like to talk to you. And so as we pray, we offer up our requests, we praise the Lord, we thank the Lord, and I like that acrostic of Acts, uh, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. You might write that down. It's not in your notes. But that's just a good little prayer guide. Uh, Adoration, 
Confession, thanksgiving, supplication, that means you, uh, uh, you know, asking the Lord for his supply, that last one. But, but, but the, the, the point is, are you talking to him by yourself, just you and he? There's, a, there's an intimacy that is developed there in a relationship with the Lord that goes beyond what all the other types of prayer in public settings can bring us. How you doing in that area? Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Why don't people pray? I would venture to say, I would just guess that the number one reason people don't pray is time. They don't have enough time. Well, to that, I just wanna say, prayer is not a waste of time. As a matter of fact, you're gonna waste a lot of time in your life if you don't pray because you'll get sidetracked and have to double back a lot if you're not praying and trying to find the Lord's direction. I hate getting sidetracked and doubling back. I remember in Colorado a couple years ago, I was headed back to the airport after a retreat and they have all kinds of toll roads. What's the deal with all these states and their tolls? Give me a break, Oregon's wonderful, you don't have to do that stuff. But I was on the phone, which was illegal there, and talking to someone, and I went right by where I should have turned off, so I had to pay two tolls. I had to pay a $7 toll and a $3 toll. And then I was on the phone, I came back, got on track, and I was on the phone, and unbelievably, I went past the same road again. So I paid, you know, $16, $20 worth of tolls that I didn't have to pay, and I was doubling back. And you know there's a price to pay when you take the wrong road? With God, too. And I, I just want to say, if you'll, if you'll seek God about these decisions in life, if you'll stay tuned in with him, if you talk to him, he'll just keep you on the right path and a good road where you don't have to double back, where you don't have to waste time. You see, the waste of time is not praying. Then you're going to find yourself doing things that take a lot more time, expend a lot more energy, and cause a lot more trouble. Prayer keeps us in tune with God's direction. That voice quite often from the Lord is just a distinct impression as you get up. Number one, prayer just causes you to know how the Lord feels about you too because if you'll, if you'll stay there and talk to him and praise him and, and, and bless his name, you'll just find your heart settling down and you'll feel his embrace and there's a lot out there in the world that tells you you're nothing but God will show you how much he loves you. As you, as you focus on him, he'll focus on you and bless you. We need to pray. We need these things. Second thought in this area of personal growth, how am I doing in my relationship with the Lord, is the word. How am I doing in reading the Bible for myself? Again, this is something we've been focused on quite a bit around here. I think it's really important to feed yourself rather than have other people feed you. But Joshua 1.8 says this, and I love this scripture. I have it memorized in another version, but I like the way this version says it, so I'm gonna read it this morning. Study this book of instruction continually. This is the Bible now. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything. I think it's interesting to, to, to note that if this is gonna work, that you read it with a heart to obey it and follow it. That you obey everything written in and then here's what'll happen. And this is the Bible, this is amazing, this is exciting. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Wow, when you stay in this and you read it, success comes. Which means if you're not in it and you're not reading it and you're not applying it, you won't have as much success. You might have something that looks like success for a season, 
But real success comes from following the principles of this word because it'll teach you about integrity. It'll teach you about the love of God. It'll teach you about a way that is the best way. It'll keep you on track and keep you from getting hurt. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Somehow, when you're focused on this on a regular basis, you end up sinning less. That's the direct impression that I get. You say, Pastor, do you believe that Christians can be sinless? I believe they can sin less and less all the time. That's what I believe. That the Lord will help us to become more like him and we'll be more blessed as we apply this truth to our lives. And if we'll get in the word, we'll save ourselves a lot of trouble by reading and obeying it. Wayne Cordero said this, life has given us two very effective teachers. Both are top flight instructors, but neither comes cheap. While both are effective, both require something of us. We have to choose one or the other. The teachers are wisdom and consequences. And that's the real truth in life. You can learn from experience that causes great pain, or you can take the wisdom of the word of God and apply it so you never have to experience that pain. My parents are pretty good parents when I was growing up. And like all good parents, they taught me not to play on the freeway. How many know just because you teach it doesn't mean your kids always obey it? And unbelievably, I I mean, I was a hard kid uh, growing up. I I think I got a spanking every day of my life before I was 12. And and, uh, I deserved almost all of them. And, 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 you know, my dad would say he he did it because he loved me. And one time I told him, yeah, when I get big, I'm going to pay all that love right back, Dad. (laughs) I didn't completely understand. But they were trying, and they did a really good job. But unbelievably, one day I found myself playing on the freeway, even though I'd been taught better. With a ball of wax, I had a friend named uh, Danny Mick who lived next door in Santa Cruz, California, and he said, come with me, and we went down to the freeway, and he was throwing this ball of wax across the freeway, getting close to cars, but not hitting them. And you know when it's different and exciting and dangerous, you know that thrill was there, and it seemed like a lot of fun until we found ourselves on the median on the other side, you know, the one, there's two lanes on each side, and then you got this middle area. We're over there with the ball of wax, and I look across, and my dog's on the other side of the freeway. And I say to Snip, isn't that the dumbest name you've ever heard? My dad had a horse named Snip, so that became our dog's name as well later in life. I said to Snip, stop! And he stopped for a moment, but he edged out in the road, and bam, right in front of my face, my dog that I loved tremendously was hit and killed. It was so painful. I remember saying to the guy who said he almost hit me because I headed out there to try to rescue the dog, and he was just glad he didn't hit me. He said, I'll buy you another dog. And I remember crying, and through those tears, I said, I don't ever want another dog again. It hurts too bad. That's what I said as a little guy. That day, consequences was a teacher for me. I have never played in the freeway again (laughs) since that moment. But oh, how I wish I would have chosen wisdom as my teacher. As we look at our own lives, you know, I'm talking about a dog now, but our sin not only hurts us, but it hurts others. Reminds me of the story of a man who was drilling a hole in a boat, and his friend said, stop it, and he said, what do you care? This is under my seat. Well, listen, sometimes when you put a hole in the boat, the whole family can go down with it, and our sin can hurt others. 
and the consequences. We could lose our families. We could lose the loves of our life. Our, our, our sin can do so, so much damage with consequences. And God loves us so much. Listen, this is not a finger-pointing book. This is a love of God, love letter, pointing the way that will bless your life. It's wisdom to keep you from consequences. God help us to choose wisdom, the wisdom of the word, as our teacher. Psalm 119.66, I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. Oh man, I can relate to that scripture. I've made the wrong turn many times knowing what God would want me to do and paying some consequences. But the older I get, the more I realize how great his love is, the more I know that he just wants to embrace me and put me on the right path. And so I can say, as Psalm 119 says, oh, how I love your law. See, when you know the heart of it, you love it. It's not against you. It's for you. I meditate on it all day long. Why would we choose consequences when the Lord would give us wisdom? God help us to focus on his word is a key part of our life. Now perhaps you see that area in the bulletin there now that says action step. Perhaps you'd, you'd write down a, a step on one of these areas and a way that the Lord would speak to your heart to start. Second thought on life assessment day here at Horizon. How am I doing with my family? Rate yourself one to 10 in that little blank right there. As I said, you can go back and change it and nobody peeks, right? Nobody's looking over. Colossians 3.19 says this, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. And then it says something very similar in 1 Peter 3. Remember that you and your wife are partners. I like what it says in another version, and it's a true meaning, equal partners in receiving God's blessing. And if you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not get ready answers. It appears, gentlemen, since the Lord says to us, be careful, don't treat them harshly, uh, bless them, that somehow, we know that women can be harsh too, right? When the Bible says that, it's talking to men usually. And there must be that there's a propensity to kind of overdo it, to over-masculinize at times. And I'll tell you, I've never said this before, but it's true from counseling. Did you know that young men who are raised in single uh, parent homes where the mom is, is the parent, the son almost always over-masculinizes? Meaning that he's, he's, he wants to show that he's his own man. And so he'll give mom some trouble and partly because dad isn't there to give the example that he should, which is gentle and loving and showing what a real man is. And God wants us to, 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 to love our, our wives. And then it talks about children. Fix these words of mine, it says in Deuteronomy, in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Now I want you to notice the time that it takes to do this Look at these words, talking about them. So you're talking to them. When you sit at home, you're sitting with them. When you walk along the road, you're walking with them. When you lie down, when you get up, you're spending time with your children. Now, I, I just want to venture out and say, I think it's going to be impossible for you to, to prove your love to your family if you don't give them time. It's hard to convince people that you love them when you won't spend time with them or you don't spend time with them. You may have good reasons. You're going out there to support them. Uh, you, you know, you've done so many things well and right. That's true. But here we see in the scriptures that time must be attached to effective parenting. Ask yourself this question. Do I have a balanced attack when it comes to my family? 
When it comes to relationships with my spouse and children, am I focused on spending time? I think in this age, this may sound weird to you, that you have to schedule it because we're all really busy. We all have schedules and we'll, you know, we'll schedule at work to make sure we get the priorities done and we don't get bumped off them, right? Listen, we're on the priorities, the real priorities today. No one ever said on their deathbed, I wished I'd spent more time at work. You'll never hear it. But over and over you hear, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. God wants us to be focused on time, touch, and tenderness with our families. I... um took my son, who's 21 now, to Northwest University in Kirkland, near Seattle this week. And uh, on the way home, I was, I was happy for him, but I just sad my heart. You know, at 21, there, there's no guarantee they come home. Uh, you know, I could find a job in the area. And, uh, and I, know, I know he's in the right place. We really feel, he really feels it's the Lord's will. But I was sad on the way home, thinking of these things. And when I went home, I don't know why, but I like to feel intensely whatever's going on to kind of like just get, get it over. Karen thinks I'm kind of crazy, you know, but I'll, I went down to his room the moment we got home. And I just sat there looking around in his room. And I remembered the, the, the little fella that he was at three and four and five and how fun he was. And I, I just thought of some moments as, as he grew up and I'll tell you what, as I think of this, I'm so glad that I was, I was focused to be there for him. Now he's pretty much raised, but you know what? I, I took him out to, to lunch every week when he, when he was in school, all the way up through his high school years. Partly because the one thing he likes to do is eat. And he's really happy when he, when he does that. But as I sat there on his bed, I remembered uh, that there was a box underneath his bed that his mom had put together, and I pulled it out, and I opened it up, and there was about 50 rocks in there. And they were just rocks that he picked up when he was a little guy. He loved rocks and sticks. I mean, before he was six, he had these massive collections, and we narrowed it down to 50 rocks. And he called every rock and every stick when he was, you know, just a little guy, dodos. Uh, maybe that's because he hit someone in the head and someone called him a dodo. I, I don't know, but he, but he just called them dodos. And I picked one rock out, a little white rock, and I held it in my hand. What a privilege it was to raise him. But I put it in my pocket and I kept it there for the day and then I took it out later and I put it on the bathroom counter. And I'm gonna leave it there and I'm going to do my best to pray for that boy every day of my life. I'm so glad I spent the time with him. I, I don't have regrets. Believe me, there was a pull. Ministry is a serious pull that can take you away from your family, just like any other job. But we have to be focused. We have to live in such a way where there's no regrets. God, God help us. Last year, Candace graduated from high school, my daughter, and she was the blonde up here on stage this morning. And um, she called me one afternoon when I was just dead tired and didn't feel like it. And she said, Dad, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings because sometime back she remembers everything. I'll tell you that. When she was three, she said, 
Paris looks cool. And I said, maybe I'll take you there someday. She has not let me forget that. I'll tell you, (laughs) pray for me. I don't know how I'm going to get that one done. But she said, hey, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings because I had mentioned it earlier. She had mentioned it, uh, you know, a month before. And I said, oh, honey, I'm so tired. And then I hung up and I thought, how often does your high school girl want you to take her out, you know? So I called back and said, yeah, let's do it. So we went all the way out to the airport, which is where it was. And, and it was fun. We ate there. And on the way back, I, I thought of something. She had mentioned that she wanted to go up the tram at OHSU. And that was just after it was built. And so she said, where are you going? I said, oh, you'll see. And we get there and we went up the tram and we went up to that great place to visit OHSU, a hospital. What can you do there, you know? But we're standing up there looking over the city and it was cool. And there was a wheelchair that was empty there. And I said, hey, Candace, get in. <laughs> she said, what? And I said, hop in. She gets in the wheelchair. It was an empty hallway. I couldn't see anybody. So I took off at a very rapid pace popping wheelies and hearing her squeal and feeling like the pastor who finally gets to get away with something, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> On the way back um, that night in the darkness of that car as we were driving, the radio was up and Candace was just singing at the top of her lungs. She does that everywhere, not just here. And I looked over at her and she was singing a song about the Lord and I thought, wow. I'm sure glad I didn't miss this. You know, there comes a day when the opportunities aren't there anymore. And I want to encourage you. I've done my best. And I'm not, I'm not done yet. I'm going to keep parenting all my life. But you, you, you say, well, I, I don't, you know, my kids are adults. Well, what if, what if you thought, what if one of your action points was to say, I'm going to call, email, or communicate with my son or daughter every week to tell them, that I love them and encourage them in some way. I mean, life has a way of beating you up, doesn't it? One of the great things about life, when it happens, it's wonderful. When you have parents who you know always believe in you and always care for you. What if your parents are are in rest homes? Make it a point to get there, to be there for them. Or they're in a home by themselves. I think God would have us to never lose touch of our roots and to love and to bless and stay connected with family. There's so much richness there. And then as I think of my relationship with my wife, Karen, who honestly, guys, and she's been such an incredible wife and she's, she's such an amazing person. And, and spending time with her has just, um, has just been one of the great things in life for me. I... Uh, Remember when Richard Dobbins was here about 12 years ago, and I've said this several times, but I I think it's a profound thought. When he spoke it, I didn't believe it. Richard Dobbins said, there are only two energy producing, and he's a counselor, there's only two energy producing relationships in your life, and that is your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. Now, when I first heard that, I wasn't offended, but I thought, no, I don't know, I love being with my kids. But it only took a few weeks with that thought in mind about energy producing for me to realize that every time I'm with my kids, it's good, but there's not a lot of energy that's coming. It's all going out, not coming back. You, you know what I mean? And that, that's, not, that's wonderful, you know, and, and it's good, but there's something about spending time with your spouse that is energy producing and God intended it that way. Karen and I have just done a few things 
uh, through the years just to try to stay connected. One of them is we try to find a spot where we can connect for 10 or 15 minutes around tea or coffee every day. And we told our kids, I mean, they know if we're having coffee, don't talk to us. You know, this is our time. And it was just about looking into her eyes and talking about small talk and sometimes it gets serious, but it feels so good to stay connected that way. We've tried to have lunch once a week together. And, and there's just a thousand ways you can do this. But the point is, are, how you doing with spending time with your spouse? Are you focused on just the children or are you focused on them as well? Because the best thing you can do for your kids is love your spouse. That's the greatest example that will change their lives. I remember when our kids were little and we go out on a date, we literally would, would drag a crying child on our leg as we're trying to get out the door. I won't say who in this service. But, but we would drag, we, you, you know, and they loved us and they didn't want us to go and we'd just look them in the eye and say, mom and daddy need to spend some time together. That's a good example for your kids. Well, look at getting away. You know, you, you think of that thought, getting away with your spouse. I, I, that, that is a great thing to try to do uh, as regularly as you can. Song of Solomon says this about spending time with your spouse. And you can see this time and, and the love attached to this. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates have bloomed. bloomed rather. There I will give you my love. There the mandrakes, that's not a duck, it's a plant of some sort, will give off their fragrance and the finest fruits are at our door. New delights as well as old, which I have saved for you, my lover. Not, that's kind of an intimate thing. The Bible, you read Song of Solomon, believe me, there's some stuff I didn't read that would have embarrassed you that, that's, that's in there. But can you see how they're, they're, you're supposed to be together? You're supposed to have time away and alone and, and, and feel the richness of the beauty of that relationship that God gave you to enjoy that partner through life. So you have action step at the bottom of that one. Perhaps the Lord's just given you a thought that you want to write down, something you have a, a goal to, to work towards. And if you're not careful, you'll make it with your work and you'll lose it with your family. I just want you to think about that for a moment. You'll be successful in your trade and it'll all be worthless when you're sitting in an empty house someday. I'm not prophesying, I'm just saying, don't let these priorities get by you because these things are what count. This, this, this is what God would have us focus to as the true priorities in life. The third one might surprise you. Am I taking care of myself? Now I'm not talking about spending time with anyone but you as an individual. Genesis lets us know the value of rest. How are you doing with rest? Do you rest? These things may not seem important, but if we don't do these things that the Lord tells us to do, we end up being crankier and having all kinds of problems. Genesis 2.2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, why would I read that scripture to you? I, I bet this culture, now I'm not talking about work today, though there's a sermon there. I love that scripture that says, as the sluggard turns on his bed, so does the door on its hinges. That's a cool word, sluggard, you lazy punk. You know, that, that we, and we could, but, but really that's not, that's not the problem 
in our society predominantly. Your problem is you work too hard and too much, not that you rest. I mean, I mean predominantly. So, we're, so, so that's what we're gonna talk about today. Do you find rest? Hey, and if you're a student in school, I'm telling you, this can apply to you just as much. You play sports, you go to school, you're doing your homework, you have no time. You have to find some downtime to rest or life will not go well for you. So for those of you, I bet if we asked before I spoke these things that there'd have been about a third of you that didn't really value rest that much. If we did scale of one to 10, you might put a one or a two up. Because after all, you're productive, you wanna get it done. And to that, I just wanna say this. Okay, so God needs rest, but you don't. So God rests on the seventh day, but hey, I don't need to. Huh. I think you might have inflated your ability a little bit too much. Now, I I would think God wouldn't need rest. Maybe he's just doing it to be an example to us. But part of rest is looking back. You remember what God did? He looked back and saw what he had created and said, it's good. And there's something about that, to know that you've had a productive week, to know that you've done well, and to sit back. And the Sabbath that's speaking of here includes church, but, but, but you know, still today ingrained in our family because of, we, we were raised in good Christian homes, and this might surprise you, but we try not to do much work on Sundays after church. We try to have housework done and no yard work, and, and even when the sun shines, it, it, we just think it's, you know, it's a time to worship the Lord and a time to find rest. And to be with family, you know, in that, in that setting. Because that environment, we're not finding it much in our culture. Hebrews 4.9, these remain then a Sabbath. This is the New Testament. Then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. It's just good to rest. The Bible says so. It needs to be a part of our lives. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you resting? Here's some other ways that you can take care of yourself. It it helps your mental health, your viewpoint of life. Uh, It's spiritual. Uh, I'm just gonna lump these together. Vacation, recreation, and hobbies are all good. Some of you say, I don't have any money for a vacation. Why don't you call a family in a location you wanna go and switch homes for a week? There's ways to get away that that don't, cost a lot of money. Some people don't value vacation. I like vacation because it gives you a 40,000 foot view. You pull away from everything and you can look at family and look at work and you, when you get to that place where you've rested, it's good. Recreation. It's not the same as rest and it, they, you know, you need to find rest but recreation is good. I love the root of that word, recreate. That means when you get your mind off everything else, somehow your brain starts to be more creative. When you're not in the midst of everything, you know, when you're fighting a battle, if you're a soldier in a war, you don't think very well when you're fighting because all you can think about is what's in front of you. There's a lot at stake. But when you pull away, then you can think and plan and focus and and probably save yourself some trouble down the road. One of the ways I like to focus is asking these kind of questions to myself during vacation. How am I doing? How are we doing? Do things need to be changed? And it's part of taking care of yourself is, is getting rest and having a hobby. I like to golf because it's one of the few places that when I, when I go do it, I'm not thinking of other things, just golfing and how bad my game is. That's all I have to think about when I'm out there. But I like it. And these things are good. You know, what's, what's a hobby you have? Uh, 
the, the thing about hobbies is it's usually about something you like and mom, you rarely get to do things you like these days. You need to be focused on your own refreshing times as well. I was on an airplane coming back from Missouri where I was with my parents this past week and I was going from Dallas to LA back to Portland, real cheap ticket. That's why I took that trek, but that's a bad trek from Missouri. From Dallas to LA, there was a family behind me, a young family sitting in the chairs behind me. And there was a little girl, chubby little thing, cute as she could be, about seven years old. And she was so excited sitting on that runway. Wow, I can't believe it's finally here. I'm gonna be up in the air in just a moment. I'm so excited. She kept saying over and over, I'm so excited. The plane took off and the little girl, and I was kind of enjoying it. She was so bright and cheerful about it. You know, this is something I'd done 100 to 200 times and I'm not really that excited about it, you know. But it was fun to listen to her. And her mama said, we're off the ground now and you could hear her squeal. And then we went up and she said, wow, look how small everything is. And then we got in these clouds up high just above the clouds, and she's going, look at the clouds, they look like marshmallows, this is so fun, and then she said, I love flying, I love flying, and it just made me smile. I had to look back at her a couple times just to see the face and the smile that was going with those cheerful words. She talked about those clouds so much that after a while, I actually looked at them. (laughs) I looked out there, and I was amazed. Those were the coolest clouds I'd ever seen in my life. They were big and thick and fluffy. And they looked like you could stand on them. And I wouldn't even have cared about the clouds unless I'd heard this little girl. And I remember thinking to myself, I think that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And then we'd go through one and we'd, you know, a little turbulence. And she would just squeal. Are you taking care of yourself? Do you really get to slow down and look at the things in life that are really good and actually notice them? God just pulled back and said, hey, it's good. It's good, what we've accomplished. Sometimes we need to give ourselves space to get that 40,000 foot view of life and say, hey, there's some beautiful things that are taking place. Now, I want to focus on this one for a little bit too and taking care of yourself. And I don't want to offend anybody. Send all your letters for criticism to Pastor Roger Lavasa. First uh, <laughs> Timothy 4.8 says this. Physical training is good. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you exercise and eat well? In the culture where God created people, before we had cars, you had to walk. And so people stayed in shape. We don't have to walk anywhere much these days. Now, that goes on to say that, that, that passage, that training for godliness is much better, and that's usually where we have a focus in that passage. But I just want you to notice it says physical training is good. Doctors let us know that if we exercise, it's a stress reliever. We feel better, we're stronger. Did you know fat burns five calories an hour and muscle burns 50 calories an hour? There's something about being in shape that helps us feel better and perform better and enjoy life more. Now, 
I'll tell you that I'm not talking about being attractive. This, this, this talk is it's not about, you know, you know, getting to where you want to get in your new swimsuit, ladies. I'm, I'm not talking about, or your old one, however that works. But what I'm talking about is, is being healthy. That's what I'm talking about. There was a usher named Barry who used to be with us. We had his memorial service a couple years ago. And I, I loved Barry. Um, there are a couple stories that I remember that just cracked me up about, about Barry. One time, he, he had a very normal looking body, but he just had a pot belly. He's an older single, single fella, and, he, and some of you, raise your hand if you know who Barry is. Look at this, everybody knows Barry. He's back there and, and, and loving on people. And one time he came up and said, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me? I need to lose some weight. I said, well, sure. And then he just felt the freedom to tell me. I, I, was, I was back in the lobby and, Pastor Spanky's little three-year-old patted me on the tummy and said, baby. <laughs> so so I, I prayed for Barry, but the, the thing that really uh, makes it in, interesting uh, to, to me is, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. I think you ought to take care of God's temple. That's what I think. I want you to live longer. I want you to feel better. I want you to be healthy. And we find that the word affirms these things. Another thing Barry did is he, he came, and this happened four or five times, and he would pray, he would have me pray with him that he could quit smoking. And uh, eventually I just said to him, because he was just feeling condemnation, you know, Barry, the Lord loves you and we love you even if you smoke. I, was, I said, Barry, perhaps you're so fixated on this that you, you, you're causing yourself grief uh, and it's harder for you. And he said, Pastor, do you think I'm going to hell because I'm, I smoke? I said, no, but I think you might get to heaven quicker no. if you don't stop. And listen to me, he did. He died because things were related to that smoking and what it did to his lungs. And prematurely, this wonderful man was taken from us. And, and, you know, when it comes to alcohol and the abuse of these things, you can really, drugs, you can damage your body. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you doing the right things to be healthy? Look, if you rest, if you'll get some breaks the way we're talking, if you'll get away with your wife, if you'll take care of yourself, your whole outlook and perspective on life could change. Because those are all stress relievers. And God wants you to enjoy life. Now, you don't hear me talk about that much, and you may never want to hear me talk about it again, but there it is out there. How are you doing? Maybe you want to write down an action step right there for how you can do it, because we would like you to stick around and enjoy life, bottom line. Be healthy. And the fourth area I want to talk to you about, and I, I'm kind of fixed on this one on a regular basis. Um, I just feel it's part of my call in life. How are you doing with God's big dream for your life. Now, when I say big dream, you can have more than one big dream in life, but it is not unlike the Lord to drop a dream into your heart that's completely Him and to have you work towards it to bring glory to His name. The big dream, you, they usually don't happen in a heartbeat or an instant. As a matter of fact, God will cultivate a heart before He takes it to a place. There may be some students here who have big dreams, and would you do me a favor? 
Would you encourage young people in their dreams? Don't kill them before they get started, those dreams. You have no idea what God would do or could do with some of these lives. And would you be careful not to squash anybody's dream? It may be so big it sounds ridiculous. Don't be one of those people that criticize others and say that's dumb. And be careful even to say something like, yeah, well, good luck with that one. First of all, it's not too late for anyone sitting here to see a big dream accomplished through your life that God would give. That big dream sometimes comes in small ways. It might be adopting a child that for the first time could know what love really is. God's love. It may seem financially impossible to pursue the dream that the Lord would put in your heart. It may seem like it's big and you have to wrestle with your own motives. But when God drops that seed in your heart, it needs to be cultivated. How are you doing with God's big dream for your life? God gave big dreams to people in the Bible. Noah was called to build an ark to save people. It was a ministry. Maybe God would start to build a ministry as he cultivates a seed in your heart. Abraham was chosen to be the father of a nation. Moses was told, you'll deliver my children from bondage. Joshua was told, you will occupy the promised land. You'll inherit it. You're the one. Esther was chosen to save her country from annihilation. David was told, you'll be a king. Solomon was told, you will build the temple. Mary was chosen, a teenage mother, to be the mother of Jesus Christ. Paul was called to be a voice to the Gentiles so that they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has specific things he'll drop into your heart. They're dreams that are his. Here's how you know that it's the Lord. Just a couple thoughts. First of all, his dreams always have to do with helping people know of his love. Okay? So if it's, if it's a personal gain dream, that's not what I'm talking about today because that's not God's dream. Now, now, you could gather great resources and part of God's dream would be to finance ministry across the world. That would be something that could be God's dream. And there's some who are gifted to be givers and to, and to make money in that way. That is cool. God's not against having money. He's against money having you. And he'll call us to gather and to, and to give resources at times. But, but the, the, the other thing that you can know is you just can't shake it. So God, you know, it's, it's something to show God's love in some way and you can't shake it. It just hangs around. It doesn't go away. You keep thinking about it. And I would say when God drops that dream in your heart, cultivate that seed. John Wooden, who was uh, chosen as the best coach in the history of sport in America, was chosen by coaches just in the last couple of years, the year before he died, he used to say this to his players that were sitting on the bench. And some of you may feel like you're sitting on the bench. When is this thing gonna happen? First of all, the big dreams, I mean, I've seen people cultivate them for 10 and 20 years and then they happen. It opens up. But God's not just building a ministry, he's building you. And this process is, it's, it, it, things germinate and it all comes to fruition at the right time. But he would say this to his players on the bench who weren't playing. And I've used this quote quite a bit, but it means a lot to me. He would say that their attitude should be, they're not getting play time. Remember, if you're playing at UCLA in those days, it's, it was the best, the, best, uh, the best college team in the nation for a dozen years. 
So you might be the second best point guard in the nation and you're sitting on the bench because that's where all the good players went. And you won't get to play until you're a junior or senior. That's just the way it worked. But he pulled those really talented guys aside and say to them, this should be your attitude. And here's what he would say. I will get ready and then perhaps my chance will come. So my question to you with the big dream that God has for your life, are you getting ready? Are you doing what it takes to seize the opportunity when it arises? Here's the ways, some ways that you can cultivate that seed God has dropped in your heart. Sometimes you can find a place where the education will prepare you for the dream. Be a lifelong learner. I don't think you should go to college just to get a degree. I think you should be a lifelong learner. Uh, You know, uh, post-grad is wonderful, but you know, you can go back and take a class that'll improve you whether you get a degree or not. Education's not bad. It can be wonderful. Another way is just uh, continued development of, of a skill. Perhaps there's a mentor or a place that you can take lessons, some way that you can learn. Are you saving towards it? There are some of these dreams that are gonna need money to get off the ground. Are, are, are you beginning there? Are you planning towards it? Are you making the little moves that God calls you to make all along the way? Because usually it'll be something that's way out there and it's big. And it just will be too much if you think about leaping all the way to that end point. But if you think about it as a step at a time, what's the next step, Lord? That's just a really great question to ask the Lord. What's the next step? And then take it. And then what's the next step, Lord? Then take it. I remember, I didn't share this in the first service, but I remember um, the Lord put it in my heart to write a book about campus ministry. There wasn't one written. We were working on campuses uh, in Oregon and there weren't really, I found one mentor who could, who could help me and I was looking around uh, nationally. And I started to say, there's nothing written about this and suddenly the Lord put something in my heart to write about it as we were learning. We did over 300 assemblies in the state of Oregon. We started over 100 Bible clubs through the years on secular campuses. And I was working with youth pastors. So I started putting together a manual, 101 Ways to Reach Your Campus Nobody Ever Told Me. That was the title. It took me five years. You know why? Because I already had a job. I was already working all day long. I was trying to keep these priorities in shape. So I found time to write at midnight most of the time. From 12 to 2 or 3 in the morning is where I did most of my writing. And it was finished. I was, I, it never had the success that I hoped because after all, you're writing to youth pastors to help them reach their campus. That's not a huge market because not all the youth pastors want to do that. But the Assemblies of God published it as a book. It's been over 20 years and they called me last year and say, said, we wanna, we, we wanna update the book. Do you have a problem with that? I said, no. And there are a few other writers that I compiled chapters with me. I said, you gotta get permission from them though too, please, and make sure you give them credit. So that, it's, 20, it's 20 years and, it, and it's still out there. Every now and then somebody meets me and they've read the book and they, you know, they treat me special. I just wanna say to them, you know, I only few thousand copies of that soul. Not really that big a deal, but it's a big deal if you want to reach your campus. It'll be interesting when I get to heaven, what's there for, for the writing of that book? Is there a treasure that's laid up there for me? 
that I didn't even know about? And I'm just saying this, that was one of the dreams God put in my heart and I'm not responsible for the results, I'm responsible to finish it. Are you working on your dream? That thing that God put in your hearts. Now let me tell you what God's big dream is for me now. First of all, let me say Ephesians 2 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What? The Lord has planned things for you already. The dreams he drops in your heart have to do with what he planned for to happen some time ago. And we can discover those things and we can lean into those things. Here's God's big dream for me now to oversee the work of ministry in this place. To build a church and a school to glorify his name. To tell all who are under the sound of my voice about the greatness of God and his amazing love. That's part of God's big dream for me. To see people saved, to see people grow in Jesus Christ. To see broken lives healed. To focus people toward laying treasure up in heaven. That's part of God's dream for me. The big dream he has for me to encourage people to give their lives in service to God. Someone came to me between services. You know, some people say, why, why a Christian high school when we have other Christian high schools in the area? That question's been asked. Just this week, um, in one of the chapels, one of the young men accepted the Lord that didn't know him. And all I can say is most Christian schools don't let them in if they don't know the Lord. I could call his name, but I wouldn't do that. I'm gonna tell you something, God loves that boy. And when God puts a dream in your heart, listen, he put that in my heart. That was not my dream, that was his dream. When God puts a dream in your heart, he has that guy in mind and another person and another person. And here's the question, are you leaning into his dream for you? Are you saying yes? Are you ready to work it? As we think of all these things today, all these priorities of God for our lives, I was evaluating my own life as I was writing. I could grow and want to grow in every one of these areas that I've spoken of. But I wrote this down. I wish to live in such a way that someday when my life comes to an end, it would be said of me. He loved God. He loved his family. He loved the church. And he loved the lost. It's my supreme hope that when I see Jesus face to face, I'll hear him say, my good and faithful servant, you have done well. Let me give you one word of wisdom with all of this. These action points that you're writing down, you could be overwhelmed if you try to do too much, all at once. But here's the word of wisdom. Start small, but start now. What are the one or two things that the Lord is really putting on your heart? Leave this place today saying, Lord, I'll get moving on this one. Start small, but start now. Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that someday? 
You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And that's talking about in heaven. We get assignments in heaven. Did you know that? Come and share your master's happiness.